Hey traders, David Frost, My Strategic Forecast. You're here for another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. Today is Monday, February 22, 2021. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. What do we have on the docket today? We have a lot to discuss today. We're going to start with the obvious. The first thing is what jumps off the page on the daily chart and what else have we been looking for? We were looking for a top the third week in February. That was last week. Did the top come in last week? As it stands now, the answer is yes. How does that change? If, in fact, they go above the high, make new highs, close above there, then the third week in February will have been wrong if they do that. Right now, it appears to be right. Let's talk about where we are on the daily chart, and we're also going to take a look at the futures chart because they're in a slightly different position, and I think it's interesting. So you can see here, home base is coming up just underneath price. What's also interesting about that price or that general area doesn't have to be to the penny. It's just that general area. Well, if you draw a line across from where the 20 period moving average is right now, you come up to where the former breakout area is, or as we like to talk about it, the market ran up to this spot and was rejected. That's the market's way of telling us that spot is important. They went back up, they went above it, and now they're coming back in to run a test. Now, do they always 100% of the time have to find support and rally back away and make new highs from that area? No, the answer is they don't have to do anything but it's an awareness. So what do we have on our hands at present? We have the 20 period moving average. We have the market that since making a top, which has been five trading days ago. So we're kind of coming up into an important time zone. Let's just say the first part of this week, we're coming into an area of a former breakout or a breakout area. We have what we discussed is seeing a change or a shift in the sentiment or the character of the market. It's not every day that the market just perpetually goes up or even if it's bought up in the morning from an early sell, we're not necessarily finishing on the highs of the day every day anymore. It's all part and parcel to hashtag reading the tape. Here's the comparison that I mentioned earlier about the S&P E-mini futures chart. You'll notice here that early this morning, the futures really came in and ran a better test than the SPY did, ran a decent test, at least they hit it. Well, maybe they didn't quite hit it. I think they came up short by a couple of points. But in terms of the 20 period moving average, it was a little bit better of a test. Does that mean anything? Can we do anything with that information? Not necessarily at present, but it's interesting and worth noting where the other market is, the futures market as compared to the cash market, as compared to the S&P exchange traded product, which is the SPY. That is the liquid vehicle that's traded. The S&P cash index, SPX, isn't traded. One of the main points in showing you the ES futures chart and its relation to where it is to the 20 period moving average is, are we destined to find the 20 period moving average at minimum on the daily chart of the SPY? And the answer is from where I sit, yes. Can they bounce up on Tuesday, turn around Tuesday? Of course they can make it look like 
everything's fine. They always do that. That brings me to another point. Let's have this discussion about expectations, what to look for, how this all works. So what do I mean by how this all works? How what works? Well, if the market is in fact rolling over, and let's say I'm right about the turn. We were looking for a market top the third week in February. So let's just humor me for a moment and say that came in on time. Now, what am I looking for from here? I'm looking for a lot more selling. It wasn't a one or two day event. I mentioned that before. We're looking at weeks to months, not hours to days. A, in between, you're going to have rip your face off rallies that provide and give the appearance that everything's fine. The market bottomed. We're going to go on to another leg higher, another rally mode, another bull market, all that stuff. That's all part and parcel to the topping process. Remember, it's hard to kill a bull. Most people in the financial services business, not directly, but it's like implied. They're paid to be bullish. The media certainly sells more ad space in a bull market than they do in a bear market. People turn off a bear market. They sell less ad space. They have less viewership. Money managers, financial advisors, brokers, financial planners, all those people, they only get paid primarily when the market goes up. Some of them are smart and they can get paid when the market goes down. But there's a couple of things, there's a couple of options they have when the market goes down. They can pull their clients' money out or tell their clients to pull their money out, or they can tell their clients that it's just a normal garden variety correction. The market always goes up and they should add as the market goes down. Now, historically, long term, that's always been right. But if you don't want to participate on the negative side in a longer term, more painful type of corrective move, then riding this one out might not be the best option. Well, financial advisors, planners, money managers, they get paid when your money is invested. They don't get paid when it's sitting on the sidelines. Even though they like to say we sit on the same side of the table as you, they really don't. They sit on the other side of the table where they only get paid as long as you're exposed to risk. That's fine as long as you know the rules, as long as you know the game, and as long as you understand they're rarely ever going to call you and say, I think we should get out. Just food for thought. Let's switch gears for a second and go over to Inside the Numbers. Let's see what the commentary was like. We'll circle back to Stocks on the Move. We only had two Stocks on the Move hit today. One didn't do it in the manner in which we prefer it done, and the other was a normal garden variety stocks on the move trade. It was a wake up red kind of day. We were looking for a top in the third week in February. Think we got it. I don't know. At that point in the morning, it certainly looked like that was going to be the case. Let's see what else we have as the morning unfolds. Just some early thoughts. Will this be a pullback, recock the gun and back to new highs or... So far, from a daily chart perspective, they've, meaning the ES futures, have now run a test of the 20-period moving average. Now, it was a couple of points away, but it was close enough to call it a test. We talked about the SPY's position on the daily chart in terms of the 20-period moving average, so that was mentioned early in the morning. This is because we want to get the big-picture perspective. Where's the market really heading? 
What's the destination today? What are they really after? That's what I'm trying to figure out at 6, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. I want to see if I can get a handle on what their objective is going to be for the day. Doesn't mean you're going to be right, and it doesn't mean it's going to be easy to trade to get there, but knowing what the objective is gives you a leg up on the competition. We talk a little bit about volatility. Volatility is a trader's best friend. We all know all that. More awareness stuff, 843. We're going to see large swings in both directions. There will be sudden drops as well as a rip-your-face-off rally or two. What I thought was a pretty good destination today was 386. There were a couple of other ones, but they never did get to 386. I think they will, at a minimum. We talk a little bit about the buy-the-dip crowd. So that's your rip-your-face-off rally. That goes hand-in-hand. And we mentioned that one day, the the buy-the-dip crowd is going to get a pie in the face. That's just the way it works. Let's see what else we got as the morning continues to unfold. Here's where we start to get something more tangible. If you're active in the market during the trading day, you need to start paying attention to the numbers. Let's say they pop them at the open. We don't know, but they do that kind of thing all the time, so we need to be prepared. Where would resistance be? How about 387.75 to 388.50? You know the routine, right of the vertical, today's activity, five-minute chart, SPY, 387.75 is the lower horizontal trend line, the upper one is 388.50. The market gapped down, opening all the way down here at the lows, rallied up into that zone. The top end of the zone was, in fact, resistance. They sent the market back down. Once they broke above it, they were able to rally some more. You'll see that unfold as the notes unfold, but that's basically the crux of what was going on. So you can see here 387.75, after they got back above it, was tested, back-tested, back-tested, back-tested. Successful test, take off to the upside. So before the opening bell, you have an idea of a couple of things. Number one, if they flush them down... 386 was a spot. If they rally them up, you know where the resistance is. So it looks like they're doing one thing, but all they're really doing is going to run a test of an important spot. If you don't really know that or understand that, it looks like they're rallying, looks like you want to hop on board. And then what happens is traders hop on board. The Johnny-come-latelys end up with a little bit of a pie in the face because what happens? As soon as they hop on board thinking they're catching the momentum The momentum peters out and they come back down. Why did it peter out? Because they hit resistance. That's where they were going. Moving right along, let's see what else we've got. You'll see for a while 387.75, 387.60. You'll see here 60 against 387.75. That was right out of the gate. And so we're already establishing a range. I could see the range even though the market never got down to 386, the range ended up being the low of the day, which was right out of the gate, just slightly above that. But at present, I'm saying the range is 386 to 387.75 to 388.50, which is a zone on the north side. That turned out to be the case for a while. How long is that going to be the zone? Until breached in either direction, but it wasn't so easy to do that. That's why they're important numbers. They were testing the resistance zone. You see all that? Now, something else was interesting, closer to 10 o'clock, the IWM was doing pretty well. The transports were doing even better on the day. The IWM was hanging in there, but the transports were positive. 
So that tells us that it's unlikely at that time, while that condition exists, that the market's going to fall apart. So we start to zero in on a pivot, 387.50. Below 387.50, the bears get excited again. You'll see it over here too, as a fumble below 387.50. So here you see 387.50. For me, that was the pivot. Below was trouble for the bulls, meaning the bears take the ball and run downfield in the southern direction. Above it, and the market can float up. So it's interesting and also necessary to know where the pivot is early on. Because, for example, let's say you're in a short position and you're in a profit position and they start getting above the pivot, which means they're probably going to push up some more. What do you want to do? Do you want to cover it, try and reshort later, take the profit, put it in your pocket, or do you want to go for the ride? You have to make that decision. That's fine, whatever you want to do, but knowing what's in front of you is 75% of the battle. It's the difference between guessing at what's going to happen and having a pretty good understanding of what's likely to happen if the market is above a certain number or below a certain number. Why is that? Because they're important numbers. The market tells us they're important numbers. Now you say, well, how does it tell me? I don't know it's an important number. I've been watching the market for so many years. I can see what she's saying. Now, understand something. I can't always see what she's saying. I see what she's saying a lot of the times. The market is very similar to a relationship between a husband and wife or partners either way. The way it works is, for me anyway, sometimes, most of the time, my wife tells me something. It's pretty crystal clear. Sometimes when she tells me something, there's an underlying thing going on. There's a hidden message that she wants me to get and understand without her having to tell me. So sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. And that's the market. Sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's crystal clear, but when it's a little fuzzy, sometimes it's subject to be a pie in the face. You're subject to be wrong. That's just the way it works. That's why I like to make that analogy. It's very real. We're moving right along. From here, I'll scroll up, pause the video, read the notes, go back to the chart and double check the work. I've given you enough information in this video to where you should say, all right, there's something to these numbers. Is this something that can benefit me at all during the trading day? Now you can see we've got some other numbers on the board. 388, 388.35, above 388.35 and there's more room to go up in the northern direction you'll see all that in the notes read the notes go back to the charts and double check the work if you're at all interested in being active in the market in terms of the SPY the ES options on the SPY the leveraged exchange traded products they're all the same they're all going to go in the direction of the S&P 500 and there's an opportunity if you have an open mind in having a tour guide throughout the market, throughout the trading day. Now here on Stocks on the Move, we had a pretty healthy list this morning. The issue was they bounce the market right out of the gate. They do that all the time, and it takes a lot of the opportunity away for stocks that would have or could have or should have come into their numbers first thing in the morning. So what happens is 
we get one trade and then the second one hit later in the day. So we'll take a look at both because there's a lesson learned on both. So the first one is Momo. It's the third one down, but the first one that hit its number. The next one was JD, the first one on the list. We'll take a look at both those charts. The first one we'll look at is Momo. Here's a daily chart. The number was 1735. Looks like a pie in the face, doesn't it? Well, hold your horses. First thing in the morning, what do they do? They come into the number, they spike it by a little bit, turn around and go on a rocket ride, making a high of $18. Doesn't sound like a lot to the naked eye, but think about it for a second. You're in a trade, it's $17.35. You get $0.65 cents maximum or anywhere in between. It's quick, it's more than a base hit, it's several percentage points in minutes. We're conditioned and programmed to take profit along the way. About JD.com, 99.31 was the number on the board, bright and early. And look what happened. They came short of the number, traded over it all day long for the most part. Do we want that trade anymore? Absolutely not. Why is that? Because the trade is not the same. We want the one, for example, like in the first candle of the day where they hit a number and had a rocket ride. What was the low of day? 100.08. So it was 100 bucks. So my number this morning from a first thing out of the gate perspective was wrong. That's okay. I only want to take the trades at my number, not somebody else's number. If my number was 100.08, we would have got the rocket ride. It wasn't. So the result? It was a no trade. What's going on over in Camp IWM? So they have yet to touch the 20 period moving average. So they came up short a couple of days ago, like the SPY came up short today. They've traded away from it in a bearish wedgish formation. So what is this telling us? Is it telling us it's going to trade through the 20 period moving average to a lower number? What could that lower number be? Well, the first one on the board is something right about here, which is that same area like we discussed in the SPY. Give or take something in here, it's a breakout area. You have a breakup candle low right here. So a lot of the stars line up for a number like, let's see where that breakup candle low is, 215. So again, it's also a fat round number, a breakout area. 215 is a spike through the 20, a breakup candle low, a breakout area, you're going to get some, at minimum, of intraday support at 215. What if they flush down and you don't get intraday support at 215? Where's the safety net? Just under 210. I'll tell you this. Not that they will, but this is a hypothetical. If, in fact, for example, let's say Tuesday or even Wednesday, they're coming in, going lower, into 215, and they just blow right through it like it's not even there. And they go right for 210. Like it's a mission. Guess what? You can buy a spike of 210 for intraday support. And this is only good for the next day or two. But if they came in there quickly over the next day or two and you didn't find intraday support around 210, just slightly below 210, I'll eat my hat. What's going on with the folks down at the transportation department? It's pretty interesting. So check this out. So they're up almost 1% today. They were up a lot more earlier. Are the transports trying to tell us something? Remember, my favorite market-leading indicator is the IWM. My second favorite is the transports. It's a number one canary in the coal mine. So we have to pay attention to this. You can't just blow it off and say, 
yeah, the transports keep going higher. I'm sure everything else will keep going lower and it means nothing. You can't say that. It does mean something either, and this is a divergence, so either the transports are going to turn around and come back down, or it truly is a canary in the coal mine right now, and everything else is going to turn around and have another leg higher. Doesn't mean they have to go to new highs, just another leg higher. So for example, remember before when we talked about the SPY in the daily chart, and I said they're coming into a period of time. They're on time in a, in a day or two. You have that 20-period moving average. You have that breakout area. So maybe they come into it tomorrow, and then they have a spike through it, and then all of a sudden, they finish positive on the day. You have a turnaround Tuesday, and the transports are up, and they were up today, and guess what? That was a canary in the coal mine. If, for example, let's say you get another follow-through day or two of positive movement in the SPY or across the markets. Now, I'm not saying that is going to happen. This is hypothetical. I'm saying when I see the transports, I have to think about what are the things that could be bullish? What are the things from a daily chart perspective where they may be due for a bounce? What are the things from a time perspective? What are the things from an important price perspective? What might happen in terms of a spark? When I see things like this, the transports diverging, I have to think about the whole gamut. You have to be the umpire calling balls and strikes. It doesn't matter that I think the market is going to go a lot lower over time. doesn't mean they can't bounce for another three days, right from today's low. All of the above is possible. How about the folks out in Silicon Valley? What's going on with the queues? So we just looked at a market that was diverging in the transports, and now we flip it around, and we look at the queues finishing on the lows, heading for a 50-period moving average. What happened to the 20? So they already gave up the 20-period moving average. So in terms of market positioning, the queues are ahead of the SPY on the chart. They're telling us something. Remember that discussion that we have every time this kind of market turn occurs from a high? We talk about shoving 10 pounds of shit in a five-pound bag. Well, the NASDAQ is that case. We know the NASDAQ is top-heavy because the names we know, the Netflixes, the Googles, the Apples, the Amazons, the Microsofts, and there's a other list going on as well, NVIDIA. So the names we know that get perpetually bought up by every mutual fund, every index fund, every hedge fund under the sun, when they want to sell them, they all sell at the same time. Guess what? It's shoving 10 pounds of crap in a five-pound satchel. It just is what it is. So it goes through an acceleration phase, meaning the Qs or the NASDAQ goes through an acceleration phase. The Qs were down over 2.5% today. The spiders weren't even down 1%. What's going to happen when the Qs hit the 50-period moving average? You're going to get, at minimum, of intraday support. You're going to get a rip-your-face-off rally. Might not happen on the first touch. They may spike it through. But all in all, at the end of the day you're going to get a rip-your-face-off rally from the 50-period moving average. I don't know if they get there on this run, but if you see 315.53, that's the number that came out of the calculator. Maybe it's plus a few cents, maybe it's minus a few cents, but if you see 315.50, give or take, you should get a bounce. 
from that spot, from at minimum of an intraday perspective. Again, it's kind of one of those, I'll eat my hat numbers. Now, if you come down and hit the 50 period moving average and rally away, the 315.50 area goes away. It changes. It's not the same. I'm saying if this happens by chance, like this week, again, with the divergences, the XLF finishes up on the day over 1%. We got the transports finishing up. We have the financials finishing up. Now, part of the reason the financials are finishing up, and we discussed this last week, is because of interest rates. Interest rates go higher, more money to the bottom line from adjustable rate mortgages or adjustable rate loans that customers have with the bank. So the bank makes more money right to the bottom line. That's part of it. But you have to look at this and say, all right, I understand that. But at the end of the day, it's not the only thing in the XLF. When the market goes down, there's stuff in there that's in the red. The XLF is up on a day when everything else is down, along with the transports. Again, are we looking at a canary or are we looking at an anomaly? One day we don't know, but you have to look at this stuff. This is how you be the umpire. This is reading the tape, all of the above. You want whiplash? What about Smash Mouth? Look at this one, down almost 4%. We just looked at the financials. We have the transports up. Now we have Smash Mouth getting taken out behind the woodshed, coming into its 20-period moving average. Remember, the topping of a market is a process. What you're seeing is a process. Divergences, some markets are ahead of others. They're not all going to do the same thing each and every day. It's a process. If they kill Smash Mouth again and you see this number over the next day or two, 237, we'll put it in the hat category. I'll eat my hat if you don't get a bounce from that spot at minimum of intraday. Have I told you how much I appreciate each and every one of you? Without you, these videos are not possible. That is true and accurate information. We're going to pull the ripcord here today. I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis.